Last week, I started a message on behind the music, and we looked at Onward Christian Soldiers. Today, it's going to be the song Amazing Grace. I have been playing as a hospice chaplain, Amazing Grace to Patients for a really long time. And somewhere in my journey, I've mustered up enough courage to start singing it to my patients. And then I sang in front of other people. In fact, one day a few months ago, I was singing that song along with several others in the the dining room of the the memory unit. Now, I'm not real brave. I, I chose the memory unit to do it. In the memory unit, I'm just bellowing out the songs and Amazing Grace being one of them. When one of the ladies in, in the lunchroom basically said this, do you practice? And I said, no, ma'am. Her words were, you should. <laughs> and I said, well, I, okay, thank you. So, you know, that was my little uh, debut as a singer, and, and, and so it is. Well, Amazing Grace is a song. I would probably think Amazing Grace is the most famous or the most popular of all of the the Christian hymns that have been sung for the past 200 or so years. I just looked up some facts. Now, I don't know how accurate they are. I just believe they're pretty accurate. The song has been produced on at least 11,000 albums. It was the inspiration behind a Broadway musical a few years ago. Artists from pop, country, I mean, almost every genre of music, have sang or played the tune of Amazing Grace. It's been featured in a lot of different movies in some fashion form. It's been sung at funerals. In fact, the song was actually sung at uh, my grandfather's funeral. On that particular day, the music director was sick and he wasn't there, and I had to lead it. It was supposed to be congregational. I think I was about the only one singing, but... So maybe that was my first musical debut, Miss Angie. Well, it's a personal song to a lot of different people, but what we may not know, or you may not know, is the story behind the man who penned this particular song. Before we get into his story, I want to read this verse of Scripture from Romans 5, verse 8. It simply says this, But God proves his own love. In some translations say God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, many of us know that verse. Many of us have celebrated what Jesus did for us on a cross, but there are some of us that really don't understand what it really means. Now, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace, his name was John Newton. John Newton's father was a sea captain. Basically, he's in Britain. A lot of guys were on boats back in that time period. We're talking about the mid-1700s. And his dad was a captain. So he was on a boat out to sea doing whatever he was commissioned to do. He wasn't home a lot. His mama was a Puritan. Faith-wise, she was a Puritan. She taught young John the scripture She taught him music. They sang regularly in their home. They attended worship services. And she taught him scripture. Two weeks before John Newton's seventh birthday, she died. 
And something changed in John Newton's life on that day. He went to a boarding school because his dad, again, was a sea captain. He sent him to a boarding school. John Newton became angrier and angrier with each passing day. When he was 11 years old, his dad finally said, all right, you're going to come with me and you're going to be on the boat with me. His dad had remarried and had already had another child by this time, but now John is with his dad on the boat as they traveled the seas. But John Newton was still an angry man. As he grew into his teenage years, he became downright rude. When I say rude, he was a rude man or a young, rude teenager. His language was laced, I mean laced with profanity. Now, I don't know what all words he used, but he used apparently profanity quite regularly. He took up drinking, as a lot of sailors did. John Newton was known to be a drunk many days while on duty. Not only was he rude with language laced with profanity and drunk very often, he sowed the seeds of sexual promiscuity. John Newton was a wild man. Now this was back in the mid 1700s. Not the kind of guy you would think would write a classic hymn. He stooped so low at one point he was drafted into the Royal Navy in England. He didn't want to be in the Royal Navy, so he deserted. When he was captured, he was beaten and told, you will go back in the Navy. He said, I will not. They worked things out and didn't make him go in the Navy, but they made him go to another boat. It happened to be a boat that was in the slave trade business. His fellow crewmates hated him so much. When they arrived on the coast of Africa, they basically sold him to an African queen who enslaved John Newton and made his life miserable for a while. Well, word reached his dad and others, and he was rescued, still serving on a slave ship. And on this particular ship, the ship's name was called the Greyhound. They were in the northern Atlantic, not far off the coast of Ireland, when a storm came. And this was a massive storm. The storm was so bad that the sails of the ship are now ripped. They're no good. The ship had taken such a beating from the storm, large holes were now in the hull of the ship. And it was taking on water. With no sails and a ship taking on water in the day, the sailors were using the pumps to pump as much water out. Of course, the water was coming in. It was kind of a hopeless situation. They couldn't steer the ship very well without sails, so they were fighting the waves and fighting the storms, and John Newton on this boat, he became so tired, he could no longer work the pump. And the captain said, well, all right, we'll go get him and tie him to the helm of the ship. He's literally now tied to the big steering wheel on the ship, given with this commission. It was one o'clock in the afternoon. The commission was, do your best to keep it straight. From one o'clock until midnight, and the day was March the 21st, 1743, John Newton, 
unable to go anywhere, angry, a man who had turned his back on God, a man who had became a fighter against Christianity, a man who said there is no God, there never was a God, there never will be a God, is now facing, along with his shipmates, possible death. He had a lot of time to think. Tied to the helm of that boat, at some point during those hours, he thought about his mama. And this particular scripture came to mind. I'm going to read it to you. Proverbs 1, verses 24 through 31. Now, he may not have recalled them word for word, but he recalled the gist of what is in those verses. This is how it reads. And I'm reading this from a very modern translation. This is what God said. I have called you so often, but you still won't come. I have pleaded, but all in vain. For you have spurned my counsel and reproof. Someday you'll be in trouble. And I'll laugh. Mock me, will you? I'll mock you. When a storm of terror surrounds you, and when you are engulfed by anguish and distress, then I will not answer your cry for help. It will be too late, though you search for me ever so anxiously. For you closed your eyes to the facts and did not choose to reverence and trust the Lord. And you turned your back on me, spurning my advice. That is why you must eat the bitter fruit of having your own way and experience the full terrors of the pathway you have chosen. <laughs> I don't know if you caught all of that. But this was what God was saying to John Newton on that particular night. John, your mama taught you this verse when you were a little boy. Yes, I know you may have been upset that I called her home. Yes, I know that you are angry. And yes, I know you've turned your back on me. But I want you to know your mother planted this in your heart when you were but a lad. Because today is the day of judgment, John. Today is the day the terror is surrounding you and encompassing you. And there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. You're powerless, John. Now, one thing I didn't tell you about his mama, she prayed that John Newton would become a preacher. He's far from a preacher, isn't he? He is. I mean, if we met John Newton today when he was the sailor boy, and if we listened to just a few words come out of his mouth, and listen to him tell the tale of his life, we would think these words, you're on your way to hell. And John Newton was on his way to hell. And now he's tied up on this, to the helm of the boat. And this verse comes into his mind. And he had to think, what in the world have I done? And what in the world am I going to do? Is there any hope for me? Well, by midnight, John Newton professed, I can't. He bowed in his spirit and he asked God to save his soul. You see, he was okay with dying that night. 
or the next day. Now, we don't know the whole story, but apparently sometime not long after he gave up and surrendered his heart to God, the boat shifted and some of the cargo in the boat slid and covered up the hole that was taken on all the water. The storm relented and they were able to all safely survive. John Newton continued sailing. He continued working on a slave trade boat. He continued for a few years to do that and then he met another captain who was a Christian who began to disciple him. Well, in uh, 19, I'm sorry, 19, boy, that tells you my problems here. In 1764, this was a few years after his salvation. In 1764, he's now abandoned sailing. He's working sort of in a customs office. And guess what John Newton decided to do? He said God called him to be a pastor. And he went and became a pastor. He met a woman. They got married. They're building their own family. He's serving a little church in a community there in England. A few years after that, as was his practice, he was having Bible study in the morning. And while he was having Bible study in 1772, and by the way, that's the year this song was written, he came across this passage in 1 Chronicles 17. I'm going to read it to you. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my family that you have brought me thus far? And now, O oh God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. You speak as though I were someone very great, O oh Lord God. Now, these words were God's words to King David. But when John Newton read those words, some, God spoke to him. See, this is how we know God's word, the Bible, it's not just words on a page, but it is the living, breathing, active Word of God that penetrates the hearts of everybody who would but listen. God got John Newton's attention on that fateful night during that storm while he was tied to the helm of that ship. Then his mother's prayers being fulfilled, he's a pastor, he reads these words, and God says, John, I'm going to do something through you you could never do. So he wrote a hymn. He'd written other hymns. You know what he named the hymn? Faith's Review and Expectation. That just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? That was what he wrote. Faith's Review and Expectation. I mean, if we... If that were in our hymn books today, we would look at it and go, well, that sounds exciting. It was later renamed Amazing Grace. Before John Newton died, he's now in his 80s. 
He said, my memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things. That I am a great sinner. And that Christ is a great Savior. The next time you sing this song, you need to remember that you're a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior because we don't understand who we really are apart from Christ. And when I read Romans 5, 8 earlier, but God proves, He proves, He demonstrates His own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't have to do that. God didn't have to save John Newton. God could have said, you know what, John Newton isn't worth saving. John Newton will ever, never become or amount to anything. You know, a lot of people don't even know John Newton's name. But they know the song. You see, that the song is not about John Newton. The song's not even about the song. The song is about Jesus. The song's about the hope that Jesus came to give to each and every one of us. You see, that's what really matters in life. And that is one of the things that we do as a church and you should do as a believer. And if you're not a believer, this is what I want you to get from this message today. Your response and my response to the song Amazing Grace should be first and foremost to ask yourself this question, am I going to heaven when I die? Have I experienced God's amazing grace? I mean, that's the bottom line. For those of you who are parents, you should want that for your children more than anything else in the world. For those of you that have grandchildren, you want that more than anything else in the world. Because John Newton was a bad guy. I mean, he was bad. But we're all bad. We're all sinners. In the book of Romans, you may have heard of this little thing called the Romans Road. Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a description of every single person in this room. We have all sinned before God. This, this basically means this. We've all broken at least one of God's laws in our life. At least one. I saw this on Facebook this past week. And it basically said this. Man can make thousands of laws. But until we learn to follow the ten God gave us, we really have no hope. We're all going to break laws. We're all going to be guilty of something. I mean, I was never a John Newton kind of sinner. I was not even close. I can... The only thing that I can relate to what John Newton did was a profane mouth. I could cuss pretty good back in the day. I was a good swearer. And that was my gift. 
to the world. At least when I was in the fifth grade. That, that, I may have shared with you the, 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 I'll call it the best whooping I ever got as a kid was when I was in the fifth grade. Cussed out my cousin Donna in front of my whole family. I, I mean, my granny too. She was there. My aunts, uncles, all the cousins. I let Donna have it. Not once, but twice. I strung together with eloquence. Eloquence. The most profane words that are used even today. And my daddy gave me a good one. Now the lesson I learned at that age was this. Don't cuss in front of your daddy again. <laughs> because I still cussed. But unlike John Newton, I've never been drunk. I've never been drunk a day in my life. I've never liked the taste of alcohol. The day Ron and I married, I was a virgin. I was never like that. And I'm, I'm saying I... I'm not bragging, I'm just saying we all have our vices. We all have our past. But I can guarantee you this, every single one of you, you've sinned and broken at least one of God's laws. Truth be known, when that verse of Scripture, Romans 3.23, for all of sin, we probably have all told a lie. I've told a few lies in my past. We've all been disrespectful. We've all turned our back on God. There, there's something we've all done. But here's what Scripture says. If you sin one time, one time, and only one time. I find it hard to believe that you can only sin one time your whole life, by the way. But if you've sinned one time, God says, you've fallen short of my glory. And then he says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of that sin is death. Death is not just physical death. It's spiritual death. It means separation from God. You know, there are people today that just don't believe this stuff that I'm telling you now. There are people today that believe if you're good enough, if you're, if you're good more than you're bad, that the scales tip in your favor and you'll go to heaven. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that one sin separates you from God. And there is no way on this earth you will ever repay that one sin. Because that sin demands a blood sacrifice. In other words, here's John Newton living his life. Running as far away from God as he could. Destined for a sinner's hell. And when God finally got John Newton tied up. And he flooded his mind and his heart with conviction from his Holy Spirit saying, John, you thought you could run from me. You thought you could do this. But listen to me. You can't run from reality. You can't run from the truth. Your mother was right. What she taught you back then was true and it's still true today. And I'm sending this storm to get your attention, man. Wake up. And God's doing the same thing with people today. But if we close our heart and say, mm -mm, I don't want to listen to that. It's your choice. You can do that. 
God wants you to open up your heart and understand that you need something you could never get by yourself, on your own. For he said the wages of sin of death, but he said the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. See, on that night, John Newton knew he couldn't buy his way into heaven. He couldn't earn his way into heaven. He couldn't undo what he had done. He couldn't, there was no way. There was only one way. It was a gift. Free. A free gift. Because John Newton understood that God demonstrated his love for John Newton and every other person that has ever breathed a breath of air. That God demonstrated his love for each of us by sending Jesus to die on the cross. That was God's gift. And John Newton understood it that night. And that's why he said, God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, change me. It wasn't just God, save me from this storm. Save me from death. But it was God, I'm a wretched man. You know, the, the first verse of Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. We don't use that word anymore, do we? You've ever known anybody to go up to you or come up to you and say, I'm such a wretch. I'm wretched. You know, we don't talk that way anymore. There, there's another old hymn that says, that saved such a worm as I. It's been changed in our language today to a sinner like me, a worm. We don't think of ourselves as worms, wretched, or in other words, reprobate. What would you do if somebody came up to you and said, you're such a reprobate? You're a reprobate. You might go, huh? Somebody might actually go, well, that's a reprobate. Not that rednecks don't know what a reprobate means. That's just the voice that came out. Here, here's what I want you to see. We are disconnected from our Creator because of our sin. And John Newton understood what Romans 10.9 says, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Not we might be saved. We probably will be saved. It said you will be saved. You will be changed. And on that fateful night, John Newton cried out, Oh God, save my soul. And God saved his soul. He had a rebirth. An internal heart change that over time began to mold and shape him into the man that God truly wanted him to be from the very beginning. This humble man was so changed that later in his life, he was able to influence England to abandon all slave trade. Now, 
When you think about what he did, what he said, and how he lived his life. When you think about that first little line, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, here's the question. Are you a wretch? I'm a wretch. Was I as bad a wretch as John Newton? No, I don't think so. I didn't do what he did. But it doesn't matter. I'm still a wretch. And I needed a savior. My wife's an amazing woman. She is. She is a truly amazing woman. She's a wretch. Angie, you're, you're sweet. You're a wretch. Tom, I love you, brother. Tom's a wretch. So I could just name every single one of us. We're all wretches. We're all wretches. Why? Because we're sinners. We've broken God's laws and we need a Savior. And that's what John Newton was saying. When he wrote those amazing words, faith's review and expectation, he was saying, I have reviewed the Christian faith. I've reviewed what God said about man and what God did for man and God's plan for man and how God can make man right with God. Faith's review and the expectation God has that we humble ourselves before Him and confess Him as Lord and Savior. When we do that, it's all amazing grace. Because God, His grace, giving me, you, John Newton, and anyone else who believes, giving us something we don't deserve is a beautiful gift. Because we don't deserve it. We really don't. We deserve death. Not just physical death, but we deserve to be eternally separated from God. But see, God's love is so great. He says, I want you to spend eternity with me in a perfect place called heaven. And the only way you can do that is through a relationship with Jesus. There's no other way. If you don't believe it, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, Jesus said, no one, and I emphasize no one, Jesus said, can come to the Father except through me. There is no other religion that will get you into heaven. None. Not Buddhism, not Hinduism, not Islam, not even Judaism, not spiritualism, not Jehovah Witnessism. I could keep going. There are no other isms except Christianity. Having a faith relationship with Jesus. That's it. He's the only way. God saved John Newton so that he might write this song we sing called Amazing Grace. That we might understand and receive the only one who can truly make a difference. Now, if you already know Jesus as Savior, live like you mean it, okay? Live with an expectation that I have received the amazing grace of God. I was given something I did not deserve. 
God, help me to honor you by the way I live my life. The next time you sing Amazing Grace, I hope maybe you'll remember just a little bit of John Newton's story. I hope you'll think about your life. I hope more importantly today, if you're not going to, if you've never said, Jesus, save me, then today, when we sing this next song, I hope that today you will say, I am tied of the helm and I need Jesus.